This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that has surfed the last wave of summer, made it through unscathed, and is pretty happy, well, a little bit happy, to see the end of earnings season. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is Dr. Anir Bhagmahati. G'day, Doc. G'day, Captain. I'm very happy. Mate, we, well, it's one of those things, you know, it's one of those things where during earnings season you think, I wish this would bloody end. And when it finishes, you're like, oh, there's no more news from the companies. What kind of what's going on? You kind of get onto the the momentum, the the kind of the excitement of earnings season. When it goes away, there's a little bit of kind of a gap, doesn't well, it? Hold that, that's true. But although you know, I like the fact that the earnings season ended yesterday. Yes, today's Friday. <laughs> so <laughs> you're feeling pretty good, right? I'm feeling very good about this. <laughs> All right, and and this the last was the last wave of summer. Of course, we're now into autumn, which frankly, I never like autumn. I love that. Do you? I love it. I'd rather have summer. It's I like it's it's great. I, I'm I'm very happy. Oh, all right, well, you can have that. I, I'm I'd much prefer the warm temperatures and the clear blue skies and uh, and, and the, just the general vibe of summer. Right? Autumn's like oh, on the downswing of winter and looking forward to spring already. You're wishing, complaining. I'm wishing away the next six. I'm not complaining. I'm just letting you know that I'd you know I'd be happy with summer again. Please. Okay. All right. Wait for a year and I'll be back. <laughs> All right. Other than me ranting and complaining about summer, on the podcast today, we are going to talk about the rest, the rump end of earnings season. We've got a few companies to talk about. Doc is going to, he's been on a bit of a, he's been on a bit of a high horse this week, I've got to tell you. He's been a little bit, kind of antsy, a bit, bit grumpy. You're going to have a bit of a rant, mate, aren't you? Mm. All right. Let's not give it away just yet. You've got to stay listening, fools. You'll hear Doc's rant. And we will dip into the full mailbag, which is frankly an ever burgeoning mailbag. We had a one of our correspondents give me a little bit of a ribbing uh, this week, which I frankly blame Doc for, which is completely unfair. But frankly, not get, my fault. Well, but I get to do these things. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I got, I got the tweet before you did, so I got to blame you. That's right. Uh, but it was my fault. <laughs> we are going to try and get through as many mailbag questions as we can, and then probably next week we'll try and wrap the rest of them up because we've just had a really, really busy earnings season. Now, the longer I talk, the less mailbag we have time for, Doc. So I'm going to stop the intro. Mm-hmm. And move straight into our coverage. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about Appen. Appen is kind of one of the, on one hand, it's really in the zeitgeist, right? It's, it's in the right spot at the right time. On the other hand, I don't know how long its business has got to go. Tell our listeners what Appen is and tell them what happened this week. Right. Okay. So Appen is, uh, you know, okay. People think of it as a software company, but it's more. Uh, a services company. Right. Uh, it provides services essentially around two lines. You know, it provides um, things like you know when you have voice, um, you know, voice assistants mm-hmm. that you know that needs samples to learn how people speak and what people speak and what language. It, it provides that. So when you say customer service and it replies, "Did you just say four pizzas?" Yeah, it's the thing that's supposed to recognize when I'm saying customer service and really gets it right. Is that what yeah, you're telling exactly. me? Exactly. So they so, they kind of how do they, how do they do that? What what's the process? So so they basically have a bunch of you know they, they have some software, some tools, and you know some content management things and okay. then they basically hired a bunch of you know freelancers right uh to you know record voices so to literally do the speaking who literally do the speaking okay yeah. cool uh, and then to do other, another thing that they do which is the bigger part of the business is essentially content relevance right so right. when you're searching for something um on the say the internet mm-hmm. or on social media mm-hmm. you know what you what you type it still needs an interpretation right, right? so, so know, if i type in world cup I'm talking about the Women's Cricket World Cup or the Men's Hockey World exactly. Cup or the cricket, you know, cricket one, right, upcoming okay. one, and so on. So you know the intent behind it, and, okay. and, and so that you know they provide that sort of sample okay. for training. Because Google is, knows what the World Cup is, but it knows all the World Cups exactly. So the relevance is okay. If I'm typing World Cup, which which results are most relevant? Is that kind exactly? Of what it does? Yeah, okay. yeah. Roughly speaking, I think that's what it is. And and what these guys do is then basically provide this data to all the big companies uh, around the world. 
So they're customers of the big companies of the world. Um, and so the Microsofts, yeah, Facebooks? You know, it's not like really disclosed. Maybe there's like, okay. you know, they have like uh, secrecy. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, confidentiality so, so, but clauses, yeah, yeah, you know, all, all sorts of uh, confidentiality clauses. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, it's all well understood that the big um, the big guns are its customers. Mm-hmm. But, the, the, but the interesting thing is that, you know, as, as there's a lot of negative news said around, you know, these... Um, uh, elections and tweets and elections and yeah, Facebook yeah. and so on. It it, <laughs> it basically makes uh, content relevance more and more important, which means yeah. you know it's worthwhile for these guys to spend money on this thing to get their process right. Right. So more more companies need voice recognition, and more companies need more content relevance for all of those different reasons, and that's been pretty good for App in the bottom line. Yeah, exactly. It's very very good. You superb uh, revenue growth, superb operating profit growth. Um, very good guidance and it's been a great stock. We own it at Pro. Now, the bulls will say Appen is surfing a, a wave, to re- return to my metaphor from the beginning of the podcast, that, yeah. that this is massive growth, huge opportunities, great upside, all that kind of good stuff. The bears might say, well, this kind of feels like a hyped up version of skilled engineering where you just go and hire some people you want to do some work for relatively thin margins. And at some point, the computers will kind of learn to do this by themselves, won't they? That, that's true. I mean, in the earnings call, what they said is they've actually, you know, developed some AI or uh, tools. Oh, that's good for at least 25% right. so, of the share price. <laughs> so I, 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 are you putting the, put the name of the company or the strategy? Yeah. Shares yeah. go up 25%. So, right. So, like, think about annotating videos, right? You want mm-hmm. to annotate a video, but you can also automate part of the process. So, reduce the manual intervention that you want, right? So, the okay. AI can actually give you... Uh, now, you can... To your point, what you want could say as well, you know, if Appen can do it, then Google can do it, right? Um, if, or at least the computers at some point will learn to do it themselves, Exactly. Right? But, but yeah, at some point, the computers will do it. But, okay. I, I mean, the thing is that there are so many different applications for which these sort of things are useful and that not every company is Google and not every company is, sure. you know, Amazon or whatever it is sure. you're talking about. So so I think as long as the pie keeps expanding, as more and more people want to do this, I think you're fine. Uh, it, it's worth remembering. That, again, as I said, it's really more of a services company than a, a software company. It's mm. valued as a software company. So it's worth, Isn't it? It's valued as a software company. So now, it's, it's worth keeping that in mind. Five years ago, mm-hmm. this was a 63 cent stock. So keep, mm-hmm. keep 60, call it, call it 50 cents, <laughs> just, for, just make it easier, right? It's a half yeah. buck. Yeah. It's now selling for $23. Now, just doing the rough math, that's about a 20-ish gain in the share price over that time. 20 bagger, 28. That's an astonishing result in five years. Mm-hmm. Is it going to keep going? Well, we like it. We still own it. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, uh, And I think it can... It's one where I call it, you have to keep watching it. <laughs> keep watching and, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a high-risk stock, but I, I like it. And in short, you think the trend is continuing. There's going to be more people needing more data, more of Appen's services over time. Appen's kind of in the box seat to keep providing it. Is that yeah, a fair summary? Well, it, it's well, well. I wouldn't say that Appen is the you know the leader or the person that everybody okay. has to go to. I wouldn't say that. There are many companies which provide similar services, right? right? There are bigger comp- competitors, but I think it's again, it's it's just the case that if more and more companies are using mm. these things, mm. more and more services are using these things, then there's an optionality. It's it's one of those things. In a rising tide, lifts basically all boats. So they're they're in a good place. Hey, you're a minority. That's exactly what I was about to say. I love that quote. Right. Modly full money. Let's move on to Rio Tinto from the sublime to the, I don't know, from, from this kind of software AI new economy company to something that digs uh, iron ore out of the ground at greater and greater quantities. It paid its shareholders, wait for this, $9.9 billion, with a B, billion dollars in dividends. It hasn't actually paid them just yet. It's declared them mm. in their earnings this week. Mm. $10 billion bucks. 
that seems like a pretty successful business, doesn't it? Well, it's because you're selling assets. You sell assets, you make money. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, so you're saying they shouldn't expect to get $9 million next, $9 million next year either? I sure wouldn't expect the same thing. I mean, unless it keeps selling itself completely, then you know, eventually it's returned all the capital to the shareholders. Right. I mean, that's a possibility. Um, yeah. Look, I think, again, for a mining company, I think Rio and, and for that matter, BHP mm. are, are great companies. The mining, mining is cyclical. Um, you know, you, they, Rio doesn't control the price of iron ore, which is its <laughs> core business. And if, if I had a brief look at the earnings results, and essentially they made money on what I think gold or not gold, sorry, um, stones, mm-hmm. gems, and and something else. And and actually they made less money on their core business. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, mining is fascinating. I, I don't I don't love resource companies. I got to say, Doc, it's not one of my favorite places to go looking for opportunities. And I, I to some degree. Frankly, it's costing me my share of $10 billion this, this half. Um, not, it wasn't a very big share. It wouldn't have been a very big share, but uh, still, be nice. Um, the to, to some degree, the challenge I have is is that, as you say, partly it's selling a business off, so you get money that just is a one-off hit, which is nice. The question, though, for most shareholders, there's a real trend now for everyone wanting income from their mining stocks, right? More dividends, more dividends. Give the cash back to shareholders. Now, BHP has been challenged for that by an activist investor. Rio has been pushed to do it by their shareholders. What worries me is... On one hand, you say, well, resource companies got a terrible track record of, of making bad acquisitions and bad resources bets, right? BHP's phosphate, it's hot-bricketed iron way back in the day, for those who remember HBI as an acronym. I want to say maybe 20 years ago for that one. Um, a long line of, of just woeful acquisitions across the industry, and it's a very, very capital-intensive, capital-hungry industry because if you're Apple, you you keep, you know, you, you, buy, you make a phone, sell a phone, microphone, sell a phone. In, in Rio's case or BHP's case, you dig a hole, and then you kind of, kind of go and find another hole to dig and try and keep digging that hole and try and keep profits growing. It's a you're kind of chasing your tail. It's a bit like the Sisyphean kind of pushing a uh, pushing a stone up a hill thing, right? As soon as you let it go, it goes back to the bottom. and You got to start pushing up again. Can you not uh, dig a bigger hole? Like, you, you, you just keep going deep. <laughs> you, get, you end up in China, Matt. We all know that. <laughs> Our parents taught us that when we were kids. You keep digging that hole, you end up in China. So look, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm a little bit. Uh, look, I don't have a view on the dividend necessarily, but it does concern me at some level. Yes, you can say, well, if mining company is going to waste the money, then give it back to shareholders. But if you are buying a mining company, you're buying it for the ongoing profitability of the business. And if they're not reinvesting in more holes, to your point, <laughs> I do wonder kind of, are we going to get to a point where all of a sudden they have to rein in the dividends massively or raise a whole lot of capital? And I, I could almost I could almost predict, not with the time, but at some point, a mining company CEO will come out and say, we haven't spent enough in capital expenditure. We haven't spent enough on growth. We, you know, unless we unless we do this, we're going to start declining profits. No one wants that, so we're going to cut the dividend and start investing in growth again. They kind of should be doing that already. So I, I'm just a little bit concerned that maybe just maybe they're wasting those dividends. Not wasting them in the sense that hey, we can all use them as shareholders, but at some level they're going to have to reverse course and actually either raise more money or cut the dividends significantly to go and make those acquisitions they need to make. I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> Modly full money. <laughs> Again, let, let, let's swing back wildly. This is the this is the earnings season pendulum at the end yeah. of earnings season. All the way back to one of the other boom companies of our time, A2 Milk. This is a business that has just gone from strength to strength in Australia, then in China, now in the US. The China business keeps growing, of course. Uh, it's just an astonishing success story where Bellamy's was hot, then it was cold. Blackmore's has been hot, then it's been cold. A2 has been hot and kind of seems to be keep getting hotter. It, it's, uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, a little bit of brag here, you know, Pro recommended that stock <laughs> at under $2. And what is it now? Well, it's probably over $14. That's more than two. 
That's more than two. Well done, well done, <laughs> so, Team Pro. So, so uh, I, I think there's there's an interesting thing here mm-hmm. with with um, A2. So, for example, A2's results were awesome. They were awesome in the sense that they had growth in America yep. and they had growth in China. Yep. Right now, we can al- always argue whether the A2 protein matters or not, but that's the differentiation. I think, and having a differentiated service really matters, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they have something to, that differentiates them that you know gives them a brand, that gives them a positioning in the market, and I think that that drives their growth. And, and they've done a really good job of also just the liquid milk, so not just powder, mm-hmm. uh, infant formula. So uh, the liquid milk is growing really nicely in the U.S. I mean, it's it's a nice success story of you know a Kiwi Australian success story that has taken something. Oh, Australian success story. Listen, yeah, that's that's the queries they get too much credit. Come yeah, on, that's, that's true. You, yeah. you you know that by now. We appropriate everything we possibly can. Farlap is Australian. Pavlova is Australian. Russell Crowe is Australian. Credit House are Australian. That's true. It's you know it's all Australian. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. we the it's, east it's, the east islands of Australia. Yeah. Otherwise, sometimes known as New Zealand, do do give us some things every now and again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's part of Australia anyway. Pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty much. much. So, 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 so the, the entire country of New Zealand just switched it, off. You can actually hear the audible clicks as, as people turn but off. Have I made myself like a persona non grata? Pretty much, mate. You've got no chance. Maybe because, because I was planning to go to Queenstown. Oh dear. Uh, maybe I'm out of luck now. Probably, I, I think, yeah. Pro- yeah. Probably stay here for a little bit longer. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, so, so we're going to an assumed name. I'm not sure. So, so yeah, I, I thought the A2 results were really, really, really great. Yeah. Very, very good. And, you know, and unlike Blacksmores, which struggled in. in um, right. That's the funny thing, right? The yeah. broad trend, the broad theme, depending on which company you look at, either is going strong or is kind of stuttering to something of a halt. It's, it's I'm still, a, I've, I've said before, I'm not a thematic investor at all. Like, I just don't do it. But. I have to say, when I see those companies being successful in Asia and think about the just the sheer demographic kind of avalanche of growing populations, growing affluence in those populations, growing desire for kind of the clean green, which I know is a bit of a cliche, but the, you know, the, there's so many contamination stories, real and imagined, out of China that if you if you if you're kind of decently affluent in China and you can afford an imported product, you're probably going to grab it, right? Rather than rather than kind of um, take your chances with the local stuff, and I don't mean to demean the Chinese product, we just know that's actually what people are doing. Um, at some level, I have to believe that's a trend that just kind of keeps going. It, it doesn't mean every company is going to be successful, but it's it's a decent bet, isn't it, to bet on companies that are selling Australian, New Zealand uh, kind of, you know, premier brands into those countries? I'm betting on A2, not on, not on Blackmores. Why not? What's the, well, what's the difference well, in your mind? I think a couple of things, right? Blackmores, in my mind, is basically selling vitamins, right? So this we say that sells vitamins. And okay, so it could yep. be a rising tide lifts all boats kind of story. That's my thought, but right? go on. But Biogen is there. There's Swiss is there. Mm-hmm. There are several other brands. There are Nature's Way is there, right? Yep. I think the differentiation there is rather narrow. So the differentiation there is... I mean, and, and in fact, all, aren't all those vitamins actually made in China, then packaged in Australia, a then sent back to... correct. Uh, I mean, so, so it's a bit of a, it's a, it's, it's a, bit of a farce there. It's not except really... That, so, except that it's the Australian quality control that, that people are buying, right? So they're buying the fact that the vitamins have been packed, controlled, managed, tested under Australian conditions. Right. So yes, they are made there, but the... the Again, this is a horrible generalization. It's not true for everybody or every product, but as a matter of course, the Chinese consumer would rather, generically and stereotypically speaking, have something that's been approved by by an external government testing agency rather than take their chance on the stuff that's been locally made, produced, and and controlled or at least managed to some degree. So, I I mean, yes, I I look at Blackmore's as a rising tide lifting all bolts kind of thing, whereas I look at A2 as more of a differentiated product. And um, which which gives them a little bit of a differentiated strategy in terms of growth because you know they offer something that the other people don't offer. True, right? So I think that's which the I, I will say just you know, not to not to argue with you, but why the reason I have avoided a two and it's cost me a fortune so far, so I, I've been wrong thus far, is just that exact reality, right? I'm old enough to remember so back in the vitamin space in the good old days, my old man took, used to take garlic tablets 
just over and over again. Right? Garlic was the miracle supplement that was going to solve everyone's problems. These days, you're lucky to find garlic on the shelves. And, yeah. and what has worried me for a while with A2, and so far completely incorrectly, is that if and when either the fashion or the fad or the or the or the evidence turns against A2, it's kind of a one protein, one product company, right? At some level, once if and when the A2 protein goes out of fashion, the entire company kind of crumbles at some degree because the entire thing is built on the fact that consumers might keep loving this particular protein. That's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, yeah. So if there's something that you know somebody comes up with something that says, "Oh, this A2 thing is actually not good for you," right. the, you know, this company isn't in in. What just simply loses favor? Like garlic was never shown as being bad. It was just people just yeah, kind of moved on. I, I think here, you know, there what I say is that you know, just follow the numbers, right? I mean, if the numbers true. basically show that well, you know, <laughs> yeah, pe- right. pe- people have stopped buying A2, you yeah. basically got to get out of it at that time. You know, I'm not saying that you can time it, but yeah. I mean, uh, the growth right now basically. Suggest that you know people are just lapping this thing. Yeah, so yeah. and look, uh, I think that's, that's. I mean, we should talk about this at, at a later date. But to your point, two to two to fourteen. Even if shares were to crash forty percent from here, you, back still, at you, still made, bucks, yeah. you still made a fortune. It was worth riding that train and, and yeah. basically riding it for as long as it was successful. No one likes to book a loss. Of course, you, people say, "Well, why don't you sell at fourteen? Well, because we might get a twenty before it crashes back to twelve or, yeah. or to well, sixteen, I, right? And, and if I knew it was going to happen, I would sell it. <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> so, so, and you and I if, would be on a on a tropical island somewhere. Yeah. Only, only if I had the crystal ball, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> real money advice from real people, not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right. And let's turn now to one of something that you have. You're not, you're not big on the rant, right? No, I'm not really big but on let's, rant. I'm, let's, I'm a nice person. I don't like to rant. But let's go to it. <laughs> All right. All right, mate. Come on. Back, uh, off, off a long run. Dennis Lilly-like off the, off the sight screen at the MCG. <laughs> charging. Charging. Into okay. bowl. So, Tell us what has got a bee in your bonnet this earnings season. Oh, okay. So... So I looked through hundreds of earnings, <laughs> hundreds, literally hundreds, and you know maybe the earnings, looking at earnings pressure, got to me. <laughs> so, so I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, t- say the. You're bl- saying an occupational health and safety issue? Is that what you're telling uh, me? It could be an occupational health and safety. <laughs> you may be not taking good care of me here. Maybe give me a raise or something. Oh, here we go. Uh, th- so that might work. Go on. Uh, I'll stop complaining. Thank you. Um, but but mm. you know, I looked at so many earnings, yeah. and I see companies that say our sales growth was hundred percent. Oh well, awesome. Hi hi. Our operating profit, well, by operating profit, I mean earnings before interest tax, depreciation, and amortization. EBITDA. EBITDA was 200%. Hey, great. Mate, awesome. I seriously hope you're going to find a way to complain about 200% profit growth because I'm taking it thus yeah. far. Yeah, well, okay. Okay. Now, <laughs> the, the main problem is Net that, profit after tax? Yeah. Up as well? Well, net profit after tax. Everybody's up, happy. Up 50%. Mate. Everybody uh, is if, awesome. If this is jumping. a problem, I want this problem. Yeah. But there is a small problem here. All right. The small problem is that a lot of these companies have brought this growth via acquisitions, which okay. means they pointed up shares. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes. Sometimes they, you know... Um, diluted your existing shareholders Mm -hmm. nicely to actually get that growth, which means when they printed those extra shares, that means the total number of shares increased, which means we now, as shareholders, get a smaller portion of the total profit. So the net profits might have gone from 100 million to 200 million, Mm -hmm. but if the share count also doubled, you actually made nothing really, right? Okay. Bugger. That, so, come, that comes and, undone pretty quickly at that point. And nobody reports yep. the diluted earnings per share number on their earnings release. In fact, you actually need to go to the reports to find it. What? Surely companies would want us to know that sort of stuff, wouldn't they? Well, they should, but they don't. Because? And because, you know, it looks doesn't look that good, <laughs> right? <laughs> because it is because of the acquired, acquired growth is so common across so many companies mm-hmm. that it is like it's really shameful that mm-hmm. they don't actually provide that number. 
right? So uh, you know, the hundred percent revenue growth translates sometimes into like forty yeah. percent earnings per share growth, which is not bad. Yeah. But you know, if you're paying for that hundred percent, but you're getting forty percent, mm. you know, it makes a difference. So this is a this is really fascinating. Man. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna broaden this out and then narrow it back down to your your point. I was reading, I think it was, I want to say it was Michael Hill Jewelers, and maybe I've got that wrong, so if I have apologies to Michael Hill. Um, and often it's what's not there that matters, right? So I was asked to comment on Michael Hill's results. It's not a company I cover a lot. I was asked to cover it on your money, uh, the, the old Sky News business. And uh, so I looked it up, did the research. Okay, fine, got it, got it, got it. And I'm looking through it and say, NPAT up, profit up, cost down. But And I, and I just couldn't be, I think, where's the revenue number? And I couldn't find it on, on the on the big box at the top. Mm. So I looked down the rest of the page. It wasn't there either. I looked down the first half of the second page. It wasn't there. I got to the second, the second, literally the last second last paragraph of the second page. And I thought, oh, revenue's down 3.7%. Mm. And you kind of think, hey, guys, come on. Like, be fitting and put it where it should be. But be as an investor. And this is where it should be reasonable to assume that companies are giving it to us straight. But that assumption will lead you horribly, horribly astray in 95% of cases because for reasons that are both conscious and subconscious, no CEO wants to put it at their first point of their presentation, hey, everyone, revenue is down 3.7%. They want to say, well, look what we've done with the profit line. Or as you said, look what we've done with EBITDA, with operating profit. Don't, don't worry about the depreciation amortization. Just look at the look at the operating profit. Don't worry about the interest. Look at the, you know, look at the earnings. And so to some degree, that's that's kind of the broad story, right? So the first thing I would say is whenever you're investing, whenever you're looking at company announcements, look for what's not there. That's often you know, the old case of dog that barked in the nighttime, right? If it's not there, that's the first sign that you should go looking for it, frankly, because if a company's not telling you their revenue or their profit or their EPS, guess what? They don't want you to know. They don't want you to think about yep. it. Absolutely. Second point I'll make for what it's worth is I think you, the EPS story is, is, is really important. So um, you, made, you made a perfect point there, mate. If you double the size of your company in terms of the shares issued, then you're going to get effectively half as much proportionally as you did previously. Mm-hmm. And so if Profits are only doubling, only doubling, which is nice. Mm. You're effectively, you've run really fast to go nowhere. Yep. Companies that do this a lot are, particularly think, uh, real estate investment trusts or REITs, property trusts, right? They do this a lot. They have to distribute all their earnings. And so every now and again, they issue more shares to buy a new, a new <coughs> asset, right? So uh, let me, let me I, won't, I won't pick any particular company because it's not particularly appropriate. I can't remember the specific details. Let's say we had uh, uh, Doc's discount stores, right? And you had 15 stores and you want to go to 20. And you haven't got any cash in the bank, so you issue shares to to buy more stores. That works really well if those stores add to everyone's ownership interest. If all you do is say, I've now got a third more stores and a third more shares and a third more profit, you just grew the company. The CEO probably got paid more because now the company's bigger. Yeah. But it was a complete waste of time. No, yeah. nobody, no, the existing shares aren't any better off just because there's more stores or in in this case, as you say, if you if you dilute to buy another piece of business to add on, if that business is truly incremental on a per share basis, you want to do that. If you can buy, if you can buy ten more stores and each of those stores is a more profitable and b helps you amortize your costs across a bigger base, then that actually can be worth doing because you know each each holder is actually better off as a result. But it is definitely that earnings per share, not just earnings, that matters a heap. Couldn't agree more. Good point, mate. Good rant. I like it when you rant. You should rant more often. No, no. I, I like to stay, you know, positive. Oh, yeah, but you be, it's, it's, man, it's therapeutic. Don't you feel better? I, I do. Feel it's better. cathartic, right? Yeah, yeah. I do feel better. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, Doc, let's get on to one of our favourite segments, and we think a favourite segment of our listeners, though we don't know for sure. You, you, you people tell us it is, so we'll trust that you you believe it's true. Uh, our listening fools say we love mailbag, and they, you send us plenty, so we're hoping it's uh, it's particularly useful. We've got an absolute truckload, as I said. We are trying to get through them as quickly as we possibly can. 
while still keeping this podcast to less than about six hours an episode. So uh, we'll do what we can to get through a few quick ones, Doc. We might try and keep our answers as short as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. You and I always have a lot to say, so we'll do our best. We'd rather do quality rather than quantity, so we'll, we'll, we'll try and manage that. A question from Jared, mate. Jared says, hey, guys, I love the podcast. In brackets, customary. He's exactly right. And I'm a new subscriber to Motley Fool Share Advisor. Well, thank you for joining, Jared. We hope we look after you. Two questions. One, I've been considering a little-known stock. I was wondering if you think it's viable. From research, it seems it won't make a profit until late next year when it releases its new product. It does, however, look like it can comfortably cover its expenses up to the product launch. Is it better to get in now, or is this too long to wait for a company to become profitable? Now, that's a. Uh, the, he mentioned the company. The company's ANR. I, I, don't, I don't particularly know the company well. I don't know if you do. I have no idea. So let's talk a bit more about specifically the, that kind of idea, right? Investing ahead of these things. And you're a growth investor. You're a kind of a higher risk investor than most. How do you think about investing in companies where the product is still maybe a little while away if, if it happens? What are some of the risks? What are some of the things that, that Jared should be thinking about? Yeah, so I think first first thing to think about is is what we call TAM. So what's the TAM. total total addressable market? How right. big is the market? Okay. And the the other thing to really think about is is what is, what are the competitors? Right? right. So if there are competing products, the market is really big. Well, you know, you you you're still trying to bring your mark, product to market. Mm-hmm. It's no good. If it's a new and evolving market, but potentially could be re- very big, and you have a you know product that can be differentiated, it could be something. Mm-hmm. You got to remember that uh, early stage companies. I mean, they have a high failure rate. Yep. So, you know, you need to take that into consideration. You need to remember that you need to make multiple of these sort of bets to actually mm. come out ahead. Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll add to that. I'm, I'm, I'm a little. I'm not. I'm not risk averse at all. Actually, I'm a little less uh, high risk than you are in terms of my investing. Though I, I, my strike rate tends to be high, my average return is much lower than yours. Um, so yeah, look, I think that's right. I think the, the the challenge, Jared, I think is is how much faith you put in a company's expectations. I'm not suggesting this company is in any way doing the wrong thing or or being dishonest about their expectations. What I would say though is that. They are hoping that the product launches at this point. They are hoping that at that point they can launch with a decent amount of sales and therefore hopefully at some point profits. Um, there's so many potential problems that can that can impact these businesses. It would be the first business that's a biotech company. It would be the first business that tried to bring something to market that didn't come to market, came to market 12 months too late. They had extra costs that were unexpected that cropped up. They had a competitor launch. So many things can happen. So even if they deliver on that date. There is no certainty that revenues and profits will flow at, at a reasonable amount of time and space. So I personally would avoid that. I think Doc would probably say, if it, it, I'll put words in your mouth, in a, in a portfolio kind of approach, if you had enough of these opportunities that all had a favorable expected return, you might want to put together a few of them and hope the odds work out on your side. Am I, am I quoting you rightly? Yeah, yeah. Or I, I mean, again, it really depends on the company. I mean, if without knowing a company, it's really hard to make a comment. But yes, something like that. I mean, you need to make many of these bets and you need to be really comfortable with the fact that these are going to be very volatile and things like that. It's again, I'd say that these sort of things are not for everyone. So you need to really know yourself well. They're, and they're kind of almost purely speculative, right? Even though there yeah. is a product plan to launch, it's kind of like the, the gold mining company says, we plan to start selling gold in 18 yeah. months' time. It's like, well, you might plan for it, but yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a, you know, planning is very different from actually doing. Yeah, I mean, you're, being, you're basically playing the VC in the public market, which is really hard, right? right. right so, And and as a VC, that's the one in 20 are successful type <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. strike rate, right? Yeah, you're looking at a really low strike rate. Right. So, Jared, maybe, I'd say give it a miss, Doc, and we can't give personal advice, but for all of our listeners, I would say give it a miss, Doc, would say if you feel like you have an advantage in Analyzing that particular company. I, I, I don't even say that. You know, if you you know for, first build an investment uh, portfolio that has got more solid companies, mm-hmm. and then you know look, you know then broaden your horizons. Right? I wouldn't. This is not what I would start. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> that's good advice. That, that, that's what I would say. Jared's second question, mate. He says, secondly, what are your thoughts on investing in IPOs from a general perspective? 
Would it be a better idea to wait to see how the company goes post-float? Thanks again. Love your work and the banter. P.S. Oh, I won't read the P.S. You have uh, to read the P.S. I'm not that's, the, the that's the best part of the, the, the thread here. Do I have to? Yeah, you do. All right. Joe says, P.S. I'm team Apple versus Android. There we go. He's in the good team. Okay. So right. I'll answer we, his yes, IPO. I, I will answer right. his IPO question because um, I actually do a lot of that. Um, okay. So I think investing after IPOs, again, there gives, you know, puts and takes in the mm-hmm. sense that. So can we start with investing in the IPO? Then after the IPO. So you're talking about in the IPO itself. So a company's coming to market, haven't yeah. yet listed. Should you be buying shares in the IPO? You you, you could, again, it's, yeah, you could. So mm-hmm. whether uh, if your broker allows you and you can you can make an application and you get shares, it depends whether right. you're going to get any shares or not. <laughs> or after it lists, also you can actually have a look uh, to buy, right? Mm-hmm. Immediately after. Um, the the thing here to note is that most companies that file for an IPO would, would provide a prospectus. So read the prospectus. The prospectus is actually really good because it gives you a lot of information. It's probably the most complete information you'll ever get from a company in that company's life, right? Yeah, uh, actually, I would say that's the most complete information you get for companies listing on the ASX because yeah. most companies don't provide a very thorough, there are some exceptions. Telstra mm. is actually an exception that provides a really thorough um, annual report, but most companies don't have a very thorough annual report. So sure. this, is, this is a great opportunity to learn about what the company is doing. Mm-hmm. That said, you don't have, you know, the financials, other financials. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it can work really well if there's mm. a profitable big company. Uh, it can actually really work well. Pro has invested in, in, you know, right after the IPO in a number of companies. Mm-hmm. EO has done that as well. Um, yeah. So, I think it, it can work. I'll continue with my risk theme. I avoid it for about six to 12 months, depending on what the company is, uh, for two key reasons. The first is that, frankly, if someone's selling, their job is to maximize the price they're getting, not to give you the best possible deal, right? So when people say, oh, this, the IPO was terrible, shares are down since the IPO, it's like, no, no, that's actually the definition of a successful IPO. <laughs> the IPO is about the seller getting some cash. And so if you're trying to raise cash, you want the best possible price you can achieve. An IPO that's, that's successful is one that goes down after the listing for the seller, because again, the investment banks work on behalf of the seller, not the buyer. It's like the real estate house, right? Is, it, is a successful sale off the price of record? Absolutely, you bet it is. I have, I have a different view on that one. Right. Uh, so so the, the successful IPO is the one that actually goes up. No. Because because I'll tell you, good IPOs are supposed to actually make money for the clients, right? And there are two clients here. There's one client is the, the guy who is selling. That the, the person who is selling is actually always disadvantaged. And the person who is buying are, the, are, are also the bank's clients, right? Because most of the shares are allocated by the banks, yep. right? So the bank's clients... Investment it, banks, right here. Yeah, investment yep. banks. And the investment banks basically want to make their other clients who are buying this stock money so if you know this you know, so it, it again so i think it's 50 50 it goes up sometimes it goes up goes down sometimes if i was if i'm selling an ipo mate and the share price goes up after the ipo i am coming for my investment bank and put it that way there's no one in god's green earth i want to accept a lower price the price goes up means i've left money on the table well but but you wanted to liquidate you yeah, you had at something. the highest possible price no that you you know well then don't don't, don't liquidate i high, yeah, take yeah. the highest possible price <laughs> anyway the other thing the other thing is you mentioned that you mentioned the numbers uh, yeah the, the information in your perspective is great mate that's a really really good point I hadn't thought of that as I as I considered my answer to this question, um, but I have to say that it's also unfortunately too often the case that um, either profits are unsustainably high, or frankly somehow companies hit rough patches post listing. Uh, Icenture is a company that we recommended at Share Advisor, which is down ninety percent. Not one of my finer moments. Um, we've had only one of those so far. It's Icenture. Uh, I should say the scorecard's beating the market, lest anyone think that we're not very good at this. Um, but in that case, it was bought out of IPO. It was basically listed at a, at a prime profit. And of course, things started to go wrong uh, post-IPO, not necessarily just the IPO's fault, but at some point, you want to see as much public market information as you can, public history, 
the audit and disclosure requirements are much higher. Um, the companies, you see more of the history there, so you can see what was done before, during, and after IPO to maybe, in some cases, make the numbers look as good as they can. Not not better than they should. There's nothing, again, I'm not suggesting anything illegal on anyone's behalf or anything improper even. Um, just that at, at some point, if you've been in the public markets for a few years, chance are any potential one-offs or, or kind of, you know, kinks in the, in the, in the data pre-listing go away. They're washed out by definition. Any more on that? I will just disagree. Deal. I'm right as always. Modly full money. We got a question on Twitter from Jazza uh, at Jug underscore ST. Maybe it's a Jug Street. I'm not sure. Uh, he says, uh, well, it addresses me. He's talking to both of us. Uh, guys, recent subscriber to Motley Fool Share Advisor. Thank you, Jazza. Wondering what your thoughts are on a long-held robo ETF, R-O-B-O. Is it worth continuing to hold in your opinion? Now, robo sounds a bit AI, a bit robotics, so I thought I'd ask you, Doc. What do you think of the robo ETF? Yeah, this is an interesting ETF. So it basically has uh, companies that are focusing on uh, robotics and automation Mm -hmm. and AI. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting ETF. Uh, I think I, I like it. Um, you got to look at you know you should look at what the constituents are. But I mean, with right. most of these things, you know, if you if you follow the theme and the, the you know I think the theme has some positive ta- tailwinds there, you're likely to do good. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you're going to do substantially better uh, <laughs> than the market, I, I do think that that's likely to beat the market over the long term. You know, but okay. um, whether or not I mean, you know, whether or not this is the best ETF to buy, that's 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 I think an open question. But right. I, I like the ETF for its exposure um, you know, to the sector. Mm. It holds some good, interesting companies um, um, that I actually personally know about. Uh, so I think it's 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 an interesting way to get the exposure. Yeah. So that's it. It's good. Oh, mate, I, I actually prefer, I, I agree with you more than we disagree on, but I will. I won't disagree with you on this one. I, I will just sound a note of caution from my perspective, and that's probably because I'm a contrarian, maybe even a curmudgeon at some level. To some degree, when you've got a kind of sexy ETF with a sexy name and a sexy ticker code, again, it's one of those things where it's, it's, at some level, they're kind of it, it, it's almost the perfect product for someone who doesn't want to think about, and not that you're not, not that Jess is not, that's, uh, um, wasn't Jess, sorry, it was Jug Street, um, not thinking about necessarily the um, the constituent parts, but jumping in because it should be the hot new thing, right? It's almost, it's almost the the mindless way of getting access. And I, I always worry about the the pricing on those kind of things, the, the valuation in terms of, hey, it's robotics, hey, it's AI, everyone's going to buy it because it's that stuff. Um, maybe that maybe that's unfair. It just, it just worries me that it, it those things feel like they're made for people who hear a headline, see a headline in the paper and go, oh, yeah, I want some of that too, I'll buy that, rather than having to think any more about it. And to some degree, while the ETF itself can't be overpriced because it's only the underlying securities, Buying the ETF by definition does add pressure. Buying pressure to the underlying securities. Do, do you worry about that at all, or do you think I'm most of, these, most of these companies are very li- like liquid? So it has mm. things like you know Cognex. It has things like Intuitive Surgical. Right. Um, you know, Aero Environment, uh, iRobot, and things like that. If mm. I, if I'm correct, if I remember correctly. So and has things uh, you know other you know robotics companies. So most of these are very liquid companies. I don't. And these ETFs don't have massive amounts of money in them. These right. are not the. You know, the, these are not the S&P 500 type of ETFs that, you know, gazillion people are following. <laughs> so I, I think the ETFs have minor impact, if at all any. Um, I'm not so much worried about the impact on the shares per se, more just the fact that it feels like when buying the hot thing, general, as a contrarian, buying the hot thing 
often isn't a good strategy. Right, right. Yeah, that, so that's true. But I mean, you know, the base constituent companies are, are, are decent companies. I mean, right, okay. it, like the thing is this, if you were investing like, you know, in, in directly in international markets, then, you mm-hmm. know, you could get the exposure that you want by buying like three or five companies, yeah, right? Okay. Um, if you're, if you're in, in investing from the ASX, then this is a really good way to get it because you're not going to be able to individually go and buy like, you know, Intuitive Surgical, for example, which, yeah, which right. makes robots for surgeries, right? Okay. So, so, I mean, you know, yeah. Now, it just just did also ask uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh, Polynovo, and mm-hmm. at the time I thought it's on my list, and I went to answer it. And uh, and when Jasper asked his second question, he said, "Oh yeah, we'll answer it on Friday." You do listen to the podcast, don't you? And he said, "Yeah." And I sent you a question. I'm still waiting for an answer on. So, uh, ouch. Fair enough. Thanks, Jazza. Um So, and this one was addressed to you, funnily enough. So I don't know why why the Robo ETF was for me and the mm. and the Polynovo questions for you. Hey, Nibano Hanti, what are your thoughts on PNV? Seems like a pick right up your alley. High risk medical company. Love to hear out on the podcast. I don't know if you looked into it in any detail, mate. Do you have any thoughts on Polynovo? Yeah, so Polynovo is an interesting company. It, we, you know, it, it's been on our short list for 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 our watch list for okay. some time. We've looked at it. Um, so that's on one hand good because you're interested. On the other hand, you haven't picked it yet. So we haven't picked it. Yeah. What's going so, on there? So the thing is that it's a burns. It it basically makes uh, it provides solutions for burns, like you know, really third degree type of burns, right? So uh, we haven't picked it largely because. It is still very early stage in the U.S., and while, while its revenues are are growing strongly, I mean, it, it's 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 basically valuation is very rich, right? Okay. I mean, and the, these sort of things can you know you they can crash and burn, or <laughs> you know, and it's a burns company and it can burn, <laughs> <laughs> which, oh. which, is, which is which is my pun of the Bad, day. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's an interesting company, interesting technology. I really like the tech, <laughs> I like the tech that they're doing. Mm. Uh, I've looked at it uh, a couple of times, you know, and uh, figured ah, oh, like, you know, the valuation. But again, you know, it keeps mm. going up, so it's one of those things where maybe it'll go down the moment I pick it, right? The moment I pick it, it's going to go down. So. Modly full money. All right. I'm, uh, we will, we have many, many more mailbag questions, mate. We're going to throw one more in and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it. We've got some great questions for next week. I'll, I'll tease that a little bit. You really want to listen to next week's podcast. Some great kind of um, interesting investing kind of psychology, investing approach, investing models kind of questions we've got from our listeners. So I'm really excited about next week. But one to finish off, mate, just because, you know, you've had a chance to talk about mm. Apple. Um, oh, I love, love talking about that. We had a question mm. from Samuel on Twitter. As always, love the podcast. Samuel knows how we operate around here. Mm-hmm. You only get mentioned if you tell us how great we are. Um, we're nothing if not narcissistic, mate. Uh, he says, you both do a fantastic job. Hey, that's great. Cool. Right. Well, that's not, not, you have a brother called Samuel, do you? No. I don't either. All right. Not a nom de plume or something. You're not a fake no, Twitter account. This is this is like this is like real. legitimate. This is very legitimate. Find we didn't hard. make it up. I find that hard to believe. Uh, it's it's awesome. All right, we should get right. a raise. <laughs> Dude, you get nothing for doing this podcast. I'll double it. How's that? Okay, okay, that's true. Uh, <laughs> I'm just curious what your thoughts are on Andy Penn selling three hundred thousand Telstra shares today. Now, I know you're not a big fan of Telstra docs. So I, I won't ask you necessarily to, to opine on Telstra. Mm. I will ask you a little bit though about about kind of executive and director selling. Mm. So. Andy Penn's come out and said, I'm selling some shares. He hasn't said it. He told the ASX it's, it's required to be announced, which mm. is great. And we love disclosure. Um, Andy Penn also waited until after the results, which is best practice. So mm-hmm. great, great, great. Tick, tick, tick for Telstra and its compliance. Again, what we think of its business and, and mm. uh, share price we differ on, but I think we can both agree the compliance is appropriate. But if a CEO comes out and sells some shares, some people say that's the world's ter- most terrible sign. Anyone who sells shares off, off the list can't possibly be bought. Others say, eh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Where do you stand on the topic of CEO selling shares? So, 
so I mean, you, you, okay. So in first of all, in Telstra, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I why mean, is that? Well, because you know, Telstra is such a big company that you know, and Andy Penn probably doesn't own enough shares, anyways. In the first case, like his his total ownership, I, I have no idea what it is. Yeah. But I would bet it's less than one percent of the company. Okay, but some people would say it's not so much the share of the company; it's the fact that he's he's signalling. That he wants his money out because this thing's gonna go down, yeah, so, and so I want the money out now. Right, right. So you got to look at a couple of things, right? You got to look at how many shares he owns, and then how many uh-huh. he has sold. Right. right. So if he's selling a small portion because he has to pay a tax bill, or because he has to buy a boat, or because he wants to buy a plane, <laughs> whatever it is, right? You know, the, th- the thing is that many many companies give share awards to uh, to the CEOs, they right? Do. Yes. And that basically is in lieu of giving them cash, uh-huh. right? And how would they cash that 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 stock cash that they have been given without selling it. So, I mean, the selling is a very legitimate reason. The other thing is that, you know, if it's, if it's share options and employee share options result in taxes, yep. uh, I mean, where is he going to pay the tax from? He could pay it from his own salary right. or he could sell some shares to pay the taxes. And that's so, thing's worth saying, right? Because in Australia, if once the shares vest, they count as income straight away. Yeah. Even if you don't sell the shares, there's an income tax requirement. So if you've got to pay income tax, even if you don't sell the shares, which again, sounds a bit strange, just for, we won't go into the details, but the governments of both stripes have decided that it's appropriate if you get shares in lieu of, of, of money, that's effectively income, so you owe income tax. Yep. Before you sell the shares, you've either got to try and dig deep in your pocket, try and find that yep. money out of your salary, which frankly, Penn can probably afford, but may yep. not want to, or he's got to sell some shares, obviously, to free up the exactly, proceeds. Yeah. And there's no tax advice or anything that we are giving here, right? Correct. Right. So, so, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, and, and the other thing is that it is Selling really is is not an indicator. Mm-hmm. Buying often means that they're buying the thing the shares, you know, tends to it tends to indicate that shares are undervalued or the thing is good value. Yep. Selling can be for hundreds of reasons, so it's really hard to yeah. to pinpoint it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth, I will say that the the uh, announcement here says that he still owns after selling three hundred thousand shares. Nice problem to have. Yeah. He still owns one point four odd million dollars million shares. Sorry, directly, which at three bucks is the best part of. Four million bucks. That's a lot of money. He also has 1.2 million performance rights, which obviously are subject to certain hurdles being met, but he's got a pretty significant interest left over in the company. They also say that Mr. Penn has sold 300,000 shares to fund tax payments arising from previous share allocations. And Mr. Penn, this is, I like this, mate. Mr. Penn's shareholdings continue to exceed the company's executive share ownership policy requirements. In other words, the rules to hold Telstra shares to the value of 100% of the executive's fixed remuneration. And they're one of the companies that one of the few companies that does this. I kind of I don't love the arbitrary nature of it necessarily, but I kind of like the the idea that the company's saying, "Hey, we want your skin in the game here. You need to own at least as many as the same value of shares as your fixed remuneration." In other words, yeah, you're working for a salary. We want you to have some sort of ownership interest, some sort of ownership mentality as well, which I kind of like. That's really good. Isn't I'll it? give I'll give Telstra a tick for that. I'm, I'm not. A, I have to say, at some I'm level, not a fan of that company, but <laughs> I give a tick no, for that one. I, you know, so I, I don't want to. I don't want to go and praise Telstra for the hell of it, mate, because I, I know it'll make you feel like you have to provide a counterpoint. But I have to say, Telstra's in, investor relations is excellent. It's annual report, as you say, is it's, it's awesome. Yeah, its compliance policies and its and its shareholder friendliness is, is I think, pretty first rate. I won't say it's the best, but I don't know of too many better than Telstra um, when it comes to kind of that. Investor treatment, frankly, the, the investor days that it holds. Again, you can agree to disagree with the strategy and all that kind of stuff. And frankly, you might prefer to have a some some bad shareholder communication and a great result rather than the reverse. But um, but but pretty good on that on that thing. The other thing I will say for directors is I think I love the idea that directors are are required to hold X dollars worth of shares. The only thing I would say is it does tend to militate against less well-off directors being appointed to company boards. So if you're going to get paid 80 grand a year to be on a board, for example, and you've got to have 80 grand worth of shares, you've got to kind of find and have that cash. So it's unlikely that a 32-year-old digital 
expert working in a um, social media company is going to necessarily have those shares or have that cash to necessarily free up to do that. So at some level, it kind of we want to be careful about the unintended consequences. And for me, the one consequence is the possibility that it, it requires people to have a certain level of wealth to start with, which may end up with more of the old boys club being reappointed rather than maybe diversity or different perspectives, views, ages, experiences around the board table, which I think is probably a net negative if you don't have it. <laughs> any more for any more, mate? I am good. We made it in the earnings season. I'm still pretty happy about that. I, I'm next very week I'll, happy. Next week I'll miss it. I'm feeling good now, as you say. Friday after earnings season is a, it's, it's a pretty it's good side awesome. to the podcast. And, and we agreed on Telstra too. I mean, how good well, is that? I know. That is great. It's just it's the earnings season's in, impact. We're, we're, just just well, wait the until the next season, week. Mate, we're yeah. probably feeling so good. We'll be, we'll be drinking by lunchtime. No, yeah, exactly. I'm kidding. Well, I thought we are. Are we? Okay, we have a meeting. I said by lunchtime, but yeah, after lunch, maybe. Yeah, okay, after let's, let's, not, let's uh, not start in the yeah, AM. Yeah, okay, yeah. It's always afternoon. So. Yeah, we're hardworking people. Aren't we? Yeah, very hard. Except when we're having beers. Oh, that's after work. Okay. But if that's at 11 o'clock, that doesn't qualify. That's true. Yeah. We can just keep it hush-hush. All right. That does wrap us up for the, for the Motley for Money podcast. Before we go, please don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley for Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. I saw during the week 70% of podcasts listen on an Apple device. Of course. It's pretty impressive. Smart people. There you go. So 70% of you... Wake up yourselves by an Android phone. And if you do like <laughs> Don't what we're do that. <laughs> if you do like what we're doing, please give us a rating uh, and leave a review if you wouldn't mind. Please tell your friends. Uh, as always, um, we don't do a lot of we don't have any paid promotion for this podcast. So people find out about it because of people like you sharing it with them. We're sure your friends and family could do with a little foolish straight talk too, as we say every week. And of course, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with a full mailbag and another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.